higher capacity mounts for visual observing on episode 296 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up the sky. And today we are asking, what are the best mounts for Shane and I to upgrade to? So, yeah, kind of an exciting one. Before we get going, did you get any observing in, Shane? Have you been able to get out and take a look at the comet or take a look at anything for that matter? Oh, no, no, nope, nope. Um, it's been cloudy and we had a, we had a brief moment or I guess a brief opportunity, maybe Friday night, Saturday morning type of thing. But, uh, I had some water issues in my basement related to a water heater Wednesday night that caused little sleep and I was just out of energy by the end of the week. So I didn't even make an attempt to look at this comet. I just, I needed sleep more than I needed comets. So... (laughs) So that was my uh, story. How about you? Were you able to get out and take a look at it? No, I'm, <clears throat> I I got up a couple, I got up a few nights, but um, the only night that was reasonably clear was I think Saturday morning. And mm-hmm. uh, like, I'm still getting over this uh, throat infection that I've had. And uh, yeah, I, it wasn't that clear. Like it wasn't clear enough. There was some clouds kicking around. I could see the clouds are moving in and I, like, I would have to go and drive like, 15 minutes to get to my dark spot. And I thought I'm going to pack that telescope. It's going to take me 15 minutes and it's going to take me 15 minutes to drive there. And then I thought, I think it's, I think it's like 50, 50, whether it would even be clear in that area of the sky. So I've said, forget it. I'm going back to bed. Actually, we'll get into this in a second. I didn't go back to bed. I ended up looking at mounts on <laughs> mine, but I, uh, you know, when I, when I did eventually go back to bed and get up in the morning, I could see the clouds were just moving off and it was a big cloud deck. So I'm like 90% sure it did totally cloud up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. I, I did wake up, uh, from my sleep at about four 30 or five. And I thought, well, if I'm not sleeping, maybe I should go try for this comet, but I pulled my, or I grabbed my tablet, looked at the, uh, uh like the cloud satellite imagery yeah. and, it looked questionable. So I thought, well, I need sleep. This is questionable. Forget it. I'm not even going to try. Yeah. And like Mike got up and he was trying to look like he was saying in the last yeah. recorded, he, he couldn't get it. And he was in the city. So there was a lot of, there's a lot of lights around in the city, of course, but, um, I'm just, I'm on the edge of the city and I could just see the clouds. And, you know, sometimes it's like that where like you have like the high Sirius and other clouds kicking around when you're right in the core of the city, it seems like it's clear. And then like out of my place, I could just kind of see them. And then again, when I woke up in the morning and there was some light coming through, even though it was still reasonably dark, mm-hmm. um, those, there were some significant clouds that were, uh, that were actually kicking around, uh, uh, eventually. So I think he got out just after the clouds had, had passed and, um, it was just starting to get bright. So, so yeah, I put a little, <laughs> I put a little nice little image in there. It says, uh, this is sort of just kind of fun because we've had some terrible conditions here, Shane and I, and Mike and everybody else that's living in our neck of the woods. It's actually been better around us. I, I've had uh, mm-hmm. messages from people in in Manitoba, which is to our east. I've had messages from people in Alberta, which is to our west. I think I even had messages uh, from people to our south uh, in uh, in like Montana and stuff. And, uh, it's been, they've had some clear nights. it has been amazing, but they've had some clear nights and we've, other than like a really marginal morning, we've had, uh, nothing. So I put this little image in our, in our show notes. I got it from the, uh, 
uh, one of the Facebook groups and uh, it says, I'll, I'll set up my telescope tonight and then it has uh, clouds colon and then has a picture of like somebody's nice house and uh, peeking in between, you know, the dormer or whatever is like this cloud with sort of this sinister, crazy uh, smiley face that's just poking up over top. And that's kind of what it's been like uh, in the, in fact, I would get, give anything for a sky that's even that good. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, me too. Me too. We've had some daytime uh, clearness, but uh, evenings just have not really cooperated at all. And, and a big part of it is we've just been an unusually humid. Uh, Like our winters are typically quite dry, but uh, the last three weeks, maybe even longer, um, just, uh, like high, high humidity every night, um, you know, probably in that like 90% range. And uh, as such, we have a lot of very pretty frost on any outdoor object. But again, it just is not conducive to uh, uh, astronomical observing at night. Yeah. So instead, I'll, we'll kind of wander into our topic now. Instead of uh, going observing that morning, I was I was online and uh, I was looking at some used mounts and kind of uh, been thinking about a few things. So um, for me, uh, I'm kind of looking, you know, we'll get into like our current situations here. I'm kind of looking for a larger, uh, more solid mount because my current situation is such that I just have uh, three really good grab and go um, Altaz mounts. I have a one pound dwarf star which is like a pocket mount. And then I've got my AZGTI and then the Takahashi Lapides. Yeah. Yeah. Shane, what's your current situation? What mounts do you currently have? So, um, somewhat similar. Like I I've got a number of, of grab and go mounts. So I, if I think if I start with my smallest, uh, I have that Burlaback caster two, which is a T mount. It can mount two telescopes. And I, I love that one. Um, it can actually handle my uh, 76 millimeter tack quite well uh, without any issue. It, it really is a great mount. Um, I have an older Stellar View M1 mount. Um, it's the one with the big silver knobs uh, for the Alt As friction control. Uh, moving up in the world in terms of capacity, I have an M2C, which is a, a more modern stellar view mount, but it, it's really just the big brother of the M1 They're, They have the exact same design, just uh, a much larger bearing and, and overall form factor for the M2C. Uh, I have a sky T, uh, a sky T two mount, which again is a T mount, um, but this one is much heavier capacity. Uh, it can haul a lot more gear or, or heavier gear on it and has slow motion controls. Um, I don't use that one as much, but I, I really do like it. It's, it's a great mount. And then, um, probably my last one that I'll really talk about is I, I do have a, a Los Mandy made for Celestron and it, it's called a G9. And, um, you know, if, if anybody's familiar with the Lost Mandy EQ mounts, which this is, um, a, a G9 doesn't make a lot of sense. It's either like a, like there's a G, G8 or GM8, and then it goes up to an 11, I believe. And um, I can't remember what time period this was, but uh, Celestron contracted Lost Mandy to make a mount for their uh, nine and a quarter inch Smith Cassegrain. And this is the mount that Lost Mandy produced. And it was like the bearing inside of it is larger than the uh, GM8, but smaller than the 11. So some people have just sort of affectionately called it the, the GM9. 
Uh, I do have a couple other mounts that, you know, my Tasco 10 TE, like my vintage telescopes, those ones came with their own sort of made for EQ mounts, but I, I really don't repurpose those for, for anything else. And then I have that Takahashi TS 65 that came with an EQ mount as well. Wow. Oh, so you-, you know what? There's one more, Chris. Oh, um, <laughs> sorry. I bought this one last year used and I really haven't used it, which is why I, I didn't think of it, but I have a go-to mount. Um, it's a Celestron, um, what is it? The eight SE. Uh, so they package their eight inch, uh, Cassegrain with this mount. It's a single arm, uh, uh, fork or yeah, single arm fork, I think is how you'd call it. Anyway. Um, I I've used one in the past. I've owned one in the past actually, and they're fantastic. It's a nice little mount that, um, you know, I, I kind of like to use those for solar observing. I can just have it track the sun all day. Um, I have the little Wi-Fi adapter for it so I can connect my phone, uh, to it and then use sky safari for it to find objects. And it's a, it's a great little mount. It doesn't have a huge capacity, but for backyard observing, you know, with my smaller refractors, it's wonderful. Nice. So you've got a lot of mounts. Too many. Yep. <laughs> never, never, never. Um, so what are your needs that aren't being met now with these mounts? And maybe what uh what do you see coming up that that might require uh a different mount uh in the near future or in the future at some point? Yeah, yeah. So if if I ignore the Lost Mandy mount, because that one does have great capacity, but it's it's a big heavy mount. It requires counterweights that are heavy, and it's an EQ mount. And and I just I don't use EQ mounts enough to find them intuitive uh when I'm trying to find things in the sky. Um, and I know, you know, it really is just about usage because I've watched Mike who, you know, we just recorded with, uh, when Mike uses his Polaris mount, which is an EQ, uh, he is so efficient with it and so capable and it just, you know, it's because he's used it a lot. Um, so anyway, I'm excluding the Lost Mandy because it has a high capacity. All my other alt as mounts, I would say are like medium capacity at best, Um, and I'm starting to think about a larger refractor at some point in my future, um, likely a six inch. And I don't think that my existing alt as mounts would be sufficient. I think, I think the sky T2 and maybe the M2C could like, could mount a six inch refractor. I'm just not sure it would be the most stable platform. So I'm starting to look at what are the alternatives out there and you know, what would the cost of, of those be? Yeah, I was just looking at the the G9 here. I guess it's like the predecessor to the modern Mosmini uh G8. And uh yeah, I'm not sure what the capacity is though. It must be like close to 30 pounds or something. Uh yeah, I would say probably in that range. Um certainly certainly um at least 30, I would say would be a maximum. It's it's quite capable. Nice. So for me, I'm kind of looking at uh something maybe I would, you know, I'm slowly maybe working towards an observatory or, uh, at, at the least anyway, I now have a more permanent, uh, spot like at, at, uh, at my dark sky site, I can kind of set up, uh, you know, within, uh, you know, right in front of where, where I sit and record many of these podcasts. And so my mount just kind of sits there right in front of me. So it's very secure and it's a pretty secure place. Anyway, I know all the people who live around me, nobody's looking for a telescope mount, And, uh, you know, I, I'm able to set up for days on end. So before m- one of my highest priorities was 
uh, mounts that were reasonably portable because I was just taking that in amongst many other pieces of gear. But now I find, uh, you know, I get concerned, like they're, they're not really big and, and, uh, hefty mounts. So, um, I get concerned if I, if I leave them up and there's like a big wind coming or anything like that, I'd be pretty concerned if they fell over and they're really not meant, none of these mounts that I have currently are meant to have telescopes sitting on them for days and they're meant to have a telescope put on them and observe with them and then, uh, sort of taken off. They're not meant to, to sit out, uh, outside for under, under uh, cover for, for days and days and days. They're, they're just not designed, uh, for that level of, of, uh, of use. So, uh, at the very least, I want to get something that's a little bit large and maybe a little bit more durable than what I have. And then, uh, you know, that, that then opens up the doors to maybe getting some, some other instruments like you were mentioning, Shane. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot to choose from. And, and, you know, the, the other side of it is some of these, and, and actually many of these options are also not inexpensive. So you, you definitely want to get it right the first time. Uh, so you're not, uh, disappointed, you know, with the investment. Yeah. So some of the stuff I've been looking at are like, uh, nothing too, too wild, but mm-hmm. like, uh, maybe a six inch F5 refractor. I've always kind of wanted one of those. Sometimes you see them come up for even like a few hundred dollars, like just like an inexpensive one. Um, maybe something like an eight or, or a 10 inch, uh, Newtonian, mm-hmm. um, or maybe something like a nine and a quarter or 11 inch, uh, Schmidt you know, nothing, uh, Nothing too wild or or strange, but just some some different types of telescopes. And the one thing <clears throat> that kind of that I've been kind of thinking about is is like your sky tea, but uh, maybe we'll get into that here in a second. Um, just first, kind of want to give a bit of a shout out to Mark Radici of the Refreshing Views YouTube channel. Um, he actually sort of I was I was writing this <laughs> yesterday. I wrote up this episode earlier in the day, and then. Mark actually sent me an email on a, a slightly different topic, but uh, anyway, Mark Radici has been on the show a few times, has a YouTube channel called Refreshing Views, and uh, he really got me to, to thinking about um, observatories and how your mount um, is going to match the observatory. So Shane, I, I don't know if you remember when Mark was on, he was talking about having an eight by 10 observatory. Yes. Yep. And originally he bought or had I think he had a 14 inch Dobsonian and um, what Mark found though, was that the Dobsonian didn't, didn't work that good in, in the roll off, even though he kind of sort of had the roll off made with drop down walls in that. And so he switched to an equatorial and, and eventually he had, he had one scope in there on the equatorial and then he got an 11 inch McCasker and eventually he's upgraded to a uh, Skywatcher. I think it's the AZEQ uh, six or mm-hmm. might, might have some of the characters backwards and he's mounting his 11 inch McCassigrain and a 90 millimeter refractor, which he just kind of would keep uh semi, you know, portably mounted on in the corner of his observatory and kind of move it around and take it outside and that. So he's got both these main telescopes, um, all set up, um, you know, in that style. And I really like that. I had sort of been thinking about it myself just as like, you know, it's sort of daydreaming about what would be a, a neat setup for an, a smaller observatory. And, uh, and then Mark went and did it and, uh, he's made some videos on it and, uh, it, it's just such a nice setup to have that 11 inch aperture and then the 90 millimeter, uh, wide field. Of course, I have all kinds of small wide field scopes, but I would like to have something that's a little bit, you know, larger in aperture. And I was like, oh, that, that would be ideal. But unfortunately for me right now, 
getting one of the easy EQ6s, I think, I don't know, I think they're going to run like three or $3,500 Canadian. So I would be uh, choosing whether or not I would ever build an observatory or have that mount. So I don't think I can do both of those at this time, Shane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some of this, like, um, some of this is a journey for sure. I think when you're building an observatory and then outfitting it with, uh, with the right gear, um, because there is a lot of cost associated with this stuff. So it's a matter, I think, of pacing it out so that you can end up with the solution you, you know, you won't, uh, well, just the solution that you'll really enjoy. And then kind of going back in the, in the summer, like I subscribed to Sky and Telescope magazine and, and get Sky News magazine, which is the Australian magazine here in Canada. And they had some of these uh, harmonic mounts and I was looking at those and, uh, I recognize they had some pretty decent capacities in, uh, in a small package and the prices didn't seem too bad, but, um, they, uh, they can't be manually operated. So, uh, but, but anyway, they kind of got me thinking to what I would want to have, what, what could work in an observatory. So maybe what we'll do first, Shane, is we'll go over the different types of mounts, um, that are just simply available out there. So maybe I'll just kind of call it a mount type and, and you can kind of explain it to us with, with that. Yeah, yeah sure. Let's easy. do that. So, so the first mount is, is a, is an equatorial mount. So what is an equatorial or someone's called just an EQ or a GEM or German equatorial mount? What is an equatorial mount, Shane? Well, I think, I think if people again, have that quintessential image of a telescope in their mind uh, or, you know, what they're used to seeing on a, like in a picture, it, there's a good chance it's on an EQ mount, uh, because a, a lot of like department store telescopes will come on an EQ mount. Now, an EQ mount to use it effectively, you have to um, you have to align it, and you have to align it to Polaris, the North Star. And then, essentially, the way an EQ mount works is when you find your object, in order to track it, you only have to adjust one of the axes, and you'll be able to track that object across the sky. So, if you are uh, an astrophotographer, uh, generally EQ mounts are greatly preferred over any other kind of mount just because there's uh, less opportunity for error uh, because you're only having to rotate on the one axis. Um, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Chris? No, I think that's good. Like you said, just that classic example with the big counterweight and the shaft and then mm -hmm. telescope sitting on top. It's just a lot of time what people have in mind. The other main types, there's like these two main types, there's the equatorial, then there's the Aldaz or the altitude and zenith. Um, like the Dobsonian was sort of in a way like the original design many of us have in mind, but there's been a lot of other Aldaz type mounts. So what is the altitude or altitude and zenith or Aldaz mount? Shame, maybe you can just explain that really basically. Yeah, these ones are are pretty easy to explain. And in, in terms of use, it, it's up, down, left, right. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't get any more basic than that. Uh, there are some uh, alt-as mounts that are powered, um, you know, with motors that either track or have go-to capabilities. Um, but there's also a lot of alt-as mounts, like the ones you and I use, Chris, uh, that are just push-tos. Like we, there's no motors, there's no electronics, they just hold the telescope. There's usually some friction adjustments on them so that you can uh, kind of tune each axis for the gear that you have on there. And um, away you go. Uh, maybe the one thing I'll say, you know, in terms of uh, other differences between an EQ and an alt-as, typically EQ mounts have a greater capacity, like a carrying capacity. So if you are going with some heavier gear, 
Uh, oftentimes, people will go with an equatorial, although there are all, there are some alt as options out there that have uh, pretty crazy ability to carry, you know, huge huge gear. Yeah. Okay, that's a good explanation of equatorial versus alt as. Those are the main two types. Then it seems like in recent years we've had a lot um, of different advances in mounts and mount technologies. One of them, I'm just going to put these out. These aren't ones that I'm really considering. But one of them is pioneered, I think, by Ioptron, and uh, they create something called a center-balanced uh, mount or a center-balanced design. And it kind of looks like an EQ mount, but where they've slung uh, the telescope a little bit lower and the counterweight bar um, rises a little bit higher. And they say that what this design does is that it, it allows them to have an increased um, capacity for those mounts. Did you ever look at those, Shane? No, no, not really. Um, I, to be honest, like some of the the newer advancements in mounts, I unless it's an alt as, I'm, I'm probably not aware of it. Yeah, I, I mean, and I wasn't too too aware of them either, and kind of started looking at them this week because they kind of caught my attention because uh, the guy Optron makes, uh, for example, I think it's called the CEM twenty six. Um, and it's, it's a 10 pound mount head weight minus counterweights and tripod, but 10 pound mount head weight can carry 26 pounds, which seems like, whoa, that's, that's uh, pretty decent. And then, um, they make all sorts of them. They make one that's like, a, a CEM 40 and it can carry 40 pounds. Uh, but that mount head only weighs 18 pounds. So they have large capacity, but small, um, weight. But uh, from what I've been able to to gather and just kind of, you know, and like I said, I didn't know that much about them, but just like in my superficial glance at the market landscape and what people are writing, to me, just like my own personal opinion here, it almost seems like maybe there's still some tweaks that are coming out. Like one of the things that I noticed, which makes me a little bit, I don't know, it just kind of, it's a little bit funny is the whole marketing feature of having these center uh, balance design mounts is that they're supposed to have a higher capacity than what a German equatorial mount otherwise would. Mm. But they've actually recently released a line of German equatorial mounts that are based on the same components as their um, CEM mounts. And the adjoining mounts, so you have a CEM 26, and then you have a GEM 28, but their German equatorial version of their center uh, balance mounts all have like about a... Uh, 10% increase in capacity. So it seems strange that they were marketing the CEMs as having a higher capacity because of this design, but then when they turn it into a German equatorial design, um, they're they're saying that they have slightly more capacity. I mean, I actually think probably the capacity is the same, but it is kind of a strange, it is kind of a strange thing. And then I read like uh different things, like it's it's a fairly new company, it's a fairly new uh, set of products. So to me, whatever I get. Like I want some that's been around like four or five years and mm. it has been around for a while, but I don't think they've um, had any of their uh, specific designs out for, for that long. They kind of are still, I think, developing in the development mode. I'm sure they'll get there, but uh, at the current time, I think it's still relatively new products. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. Just about like, you know, a, a tested design that, you know, just works and has uh, some history behind it is, is uh, probably a good thing to add to the list of considerations. I think as well, like some people are all about having the latest and greatest and they don't mind. Like I know it's the same thing in the computer world. I work in computers and some people don't mind getting like 
the latest and greatest computer and have to work out a few of the uh, little channel. Like I bought a new computer recently and as somebody who who is in the computer world and doesn't mind tinkering around with them a little bit, I bought something that's a little bit more cutting edge and uh, you know I've had to do a couple little mods and that sort of thing. And to me, I don't mind that. That doesn't bother me at all. But when it comes to a telescope mount, something that's mechanical, like I'm not really mechanically inclined or any sort of engineer type of person. And so to me, I whatever I got, it's got to work. Because if I get it and there's a little problem with it, I'm going to have to find somebody who can fix it for me. So, you know, I'll be taking a trip to Shane's. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So the other, the other mounts, one of the ones that really originally caught my eye and uh, some of our listeners have, have bought these and they are good mounts um, are these harmonic drive mounts. I know, I think it's ZWO makes them. I think there's a company called rainbow or something. There's like three or four or five different companies now. And it seems like more and more companies are making these harmonic mounts. Have, have you seen these ones, Shane? A little bit, yeah. I'm I am intrigued by these harmonic mounts. Uh, they they look super interesting. Like I like the sleekness of them. They look cool. Um, I don't know a lot about performance or other details, though. Yeah. So the harmonic mounts are like just to give you an idea. They look out of all the mounts, they look um, like a whole different type of mount. They don't look like anything that's been out there so far. Maybe the closest thing might be some of the Altaz mounts, but the, to me, I don't know if, when you were a kid and or like, you know, seven or eight, your, your mom would give you the apple juice can or something. You had to go crush it. And, you know, it's kind of hard to crush that can when you're a small child. Because I was a small child when I was like that age. And I would, of course, you know, hit it with my foot and it would kind of sort of crumple on half of it. And so half of it sort of would still be according out and the other half would be sort of according in. And that's kind of what these mounts look like. It's sort of like a half crushed, um, you know, uh, liter and a half or two liter juice can. Mm-hmm. And, um, they're, so they're very small and compact, and I think they're about that size. I've never seen or used one in real life, and uh, apparently they have very high uh, capacity. They can carry a lot of weight for their size, and they're very small and portable, lightweight. And a couple of things that, that attract me to these mounts are they don't have the counterweight shaft, so you stick them in an observatory, you don't have to worry about bumping in mm-hmm. to shaft, don't have to worry about that shaft sticking out, so it's uh, it's not going to occupy much space. So with a mount like that, maybe you could have a smaller observatory. It's like, oh, this would be great. But then in my research, looking for at them, because I originally was all about getting one of these new mounts because many of them are coming out. They're getting very good reviews. And um, one of the challenges I find these days, Shane, I'm sure you've run into this before, and this is uh, a more and more common conversation we're having with listeners, is that a lot of the stuff is being designed specifically for the astro imagers among us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the astrophotography par- portion of this hobby is extremely popular. There's a lot of folks, um, that want to take, you know, beautiful pictures of the night sky. And, uh, as such, you know, they're the, the vendors, you know, try to meet their needs. So yeah, sure. there's an awful lot of things designed for them and, and, uh, that's great, you know, but, um, some of it, you know, uh, can easily be leveraged and, and be a benefit or value to visual observers, but some of it is kind of overkill for us too. Some of it we don't necessarily need. And so these harmonic drives are kind of like a bad marriage for some of us visual observers. Some, maybe they're going to work for other people, but for me anyway, I and I learned this because I tried it. I did try a mount that, that I couldn't push to, and I thought, oh, I'll just get used to it or whatever, and I couldn't do it. I had to send it back and get another mount. I, I just... If, if I have a mount, I need to be able to point and aim it manually myself. And I don't think I will ever break that. 
because like when I'm when I'm tired, I was gonna say old and tired, I guess maybe that's the problem getting old and tired. But when I'm tired at night, even though I know that mount can't be pushed to, I'm grabbing the telescope and I'm trying to push <laughs> that mount to to where and I'm like, oh yeah, I can't do that with this mount. And that's not good for the mount. It's not, you know, it's just not good for the observing experience, not good for the equipment. It's uh, just not a very good experience for me. And these harmonic drives, from what I've been able to ascertain, is um, they need to do the pointing and the tracking and all this stuff. Like they're just going to do it, and and apparently they do it very well. Um, but you can't manually override that. There's no like uh, clutches, at least as far as I know. Now maybe somebody can write me and tell me the difference. But I I did some digging on these, and I just couldn't see it. Now some observers who who maybe don't want that feature, if you only want to be able to uh, use power and to have it tracking and to be have it uh, go to or even manually slewing. Like some of them, you can manually slew just with a hand controller, which is great. Um, and that's like the mount that that I had before that that I couldn't get used to. It, it had, you know, the ability to use like a hand paddle to uh, to point the telescope. Um, but I just go too much by feel, so I kind of had to eliminate the harmonic drives. If they made one that I could just manually push to and then have it continue tracking. I think I'd be okay. I think it would put it back in, in the running. But at least for me, Shane, um, the harmonic mounts and the center balance ones are out. So I've really just been looking at the equatorial um, and the ELT as mounts. I'm not sure where you are exactly. Are you, are you leaning towards something that's more equatorial or are you leaning towards something that's more altazimuth or have you kind of even gotten that far yet? Um, for me, it would be right now anyway, it would be alt as, um, I just like the simplicity, you know, and, and not having to worry about the counterweights and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that's, that's been where my research is at, um, with a, a little bit of a new requirement and I'm not sure how firm I am yet on this, but, um, I'm intrigued by digital setting circles. So not all mounts can, um, uh, can have this mounted after the fact, but some can. So I'm looking at also, is that mount compatible to add setting digital setting circles at some point if I want to? Um, like I say, I'm not sure that that would be a make it or break it requirement for me, but I'm I'm considering it more. For me, I'm st- I still am considering EQ mounts um, for a couple of reasons. One is that the my base primary requirement is that I want to be able to mount all of my current scopes, um, whatever I get. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now I don't have a mount that I can properly mount everything to either. I don't want to do it all at once, but I just want to be able to mount everything from my six inch, 13 pound max suit off. And I want to be able to mount like my 60 millimeter, uh, FS mm-hmm. and, and to be able to mount and to be able to point them. Right. Kind of like what I'm saying. And then also, um, I've, I've got the, uh, Skywatcher AZ GTI and I, I do really enjoy that mount. It's not a mount that I, you, you just, that mount, it's not designed to be set up permanently, like in any kind of real outdoor environment. So it's great to set up and then maybe leave out for a night or so. I've, I've even left up for like two or three nights, but it's not really designed for that, but I have really enjoyed the tracking with it. I don't use the go-to I've only just used the go-to just check it out and make, yeah, it works. That's great but I don't really use it. The The only way that I've ever used it is sometimes if, I'm, if it's just really late and I've got like a particular load or the telescope pointed a certain way, 
um, sometimes I will get it to like slew across the sky to go from, if I'm looking at maybe a planet in the Southwest to a planet that's rising in the Northeast, I, I might get it to go to just because, um, you know, whatever, but that, that's sort of the extent. So I don't really need the go-to. So I'm looking at some of these mounts that have, you know, somewhere between like around like a 15 pound to about a 22 pound load capacity. And that weigh in between like around 10 and 20 pounds, because uh, there's many uh, older mounts that are out there that uh, that just have manual manual slow motion, the ability to flip the clutches and point the telescope manually as well, mm-hmm. and uh, and then there's a lot of uh, mod kits that you can get that uh, that allow you to replace some of the parts that maybe um, have been improved over time versus you know maybe what was available in the eighties or nineties or early two uh, thousands. And then as well, like, you know, even for a few hundred dollars uh, American, you can even buy uh, a set of belts, wireless connectivity, digital slow motion. Like you can, you can add all this into a mount that already has like those, those base sort of uh, fundamental requirements that like a visual observer, like, like us might be into. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nice to have some flexibility or options like that for sure. And most of all, like I think I could take something. One of the one of the leading mounts that that I've been considering, and, and, and I, I've watched a few sales go through, is like a Great Polaris Two or a GP Two, which is a uh, I guess maybe they stopped making it about twelve or fifteen years ago or something now. And um, you know, it was a mount that came out in like the early two thousands, and uh, by Vixen, and they go for not a whole lot of money. Sometimes as low as like. $300 Canadian hmm. and they're bare bones, no drives, no nothing. You can get like, you know, usually they come with like a kind of weight shaft, maybe like a three and a half or four kilogram weight. And then what you can do with those, and they have very good internal components, but there's no go-to there's, it, it's just amount. Um, but then what I was thinking is I could get one of these um, modification packages and add in the motor drives, add in the wireless connectivity, add in the digital slow motion. It's probably not going to use the wireless connectivity as much or whatever, but you buy, it comes all as one package and it's not that expensive. So maybe for like seven to $800, I could have a pretty decent um, mount, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, that would meet my, my minimum requirements. One of the other paths that I've been going down is looking at like the Skywatcher EQ5 weighs about 12 pounds, can hold up to 25 pounds. And uh, it's a Skywatcher mount. I have a Skywatcher mount in my Skywatcher mount that I currently have. Um, I, you and I, and we talked about this in the podcast, uh, I had some small problem with it. it. It worked, but it just wasn't working as as designed. It had like this click to it. And uh, mm-hmm. some people could live with it. I couldn't. And uh, apparently like some people would just take it apart and clean the burrs out. We tried that, but there was a problem with the screw. So we couldn't do it. So I ended up sending it back to Skywatcher. They were great to deal with. They did the work. It was free and they were awesome. I just want to say I had, I did have a problem with Skywatcher mount. They, re, they, they fixed it and it's perfect. And Skywatcher was great to deal with. So I, I'm not trashing anybody here. I just want to put that out there. So I would buy another Skywatcher mount for sure. I would buy it new, but if I was doing it again, if I was doing it this way, what I would do right off the hop is if I got an EQ five deluxe, cause it can hold close to 25 pounds, nice bumping capacity for what I have. Um, and they're relatively inexpensive. 
I would buy it in a country or somewhere because I don't think this is available here in Canada. And I would send it to um, an aftermarket, um, you know, company to actually do any deburring and replace some of those gears right at, right at the start without even taking them out, even though probably there's like a 70% or an 80% chance that I'm not going to have that problem again. I would just circumvent going through that cycle of getting them out and then having a challenge with it and then whatever. And, and I would have some other small modifications made to it at that time. You know, typically a mount doesn't come greased for minus 30. I would have that done. I would have, you know, a few other little modifications done to it. And then I would get one of those kits and, and put it on. So then I'd have a higher capacity equatorial mount. Um, pros to all this would be to have planetary tracking for my sketching. And uh, there's lots of online after sales support. And uh, the cons to these, of course, is that uh, you get uh, a little bit of a load increase, um, but it doesn't really give me um, that much room. Like Shane, you're talking about maybe getting a six inch refractor. Mm-hmm. You'd have to get, like, I was looking at the mounts that are equatorial to take a six inch refractor. And I mean, you take it away. I mean, you would need a pretty darn big equatorial mount that I think is beyond my uh, affordability to probably get in here. Yeah. Yeah. You would need a pretty substantial one. Um, the ones that intrigue me, well, I, and, and again, I really haven't looked at the EQs, but, um, there's the Rowan AZ 75. I think there's also an AZ one 100 maybe, but that one is likely, you know, way beyond the spec that I need. Yeah. Um, APM makes some pretty high capacity alt as mounts. I think it's like the max load they call it. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple big ones out there that are intriguing to me, but, um, you know, this is something too, for me, like, I think you're much closer to this purchase than, than I am. Um, you know, this is more, uh, a little more future for me. So I'm, I'm not as, uh, invested in the research at this time. Said the guy with around 10 mounts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, just pointing that I'm not, I'm not. not So. So here's, I got, I got some questions for you because okay. I've made a list of the Altaz mounts and I'm looking, I'm not going to talk about the max load from, from APM. I think that's an awesome mount, but boy, oh boy, to get that configured is going to, and sent here would be like $2,000. That's way beyond my budget for this. So just so people know the one mount that is on my list, this is kind of like in a way, like the number one mount, it's a mount that you own, which is, um, it comes out in a few different varieties, but sometimes it's called the sky T mount. And it's that white mount. You own it, Shane. I've actually uh, seen that mount in the field. I've used it a little bit. I think that's a great mount. And when I look online, not only have I seen and used this mount, I think it's a nice mount. Um, you own it. And uh, it looks like people are putting all kinds of telescopes on it. I've seen people even put 10-inch Newtonians up to F5.3, which is a decent-sized telescope. I even saw somebody who put an eight-inch F6 refractor acromat on this. Ooh. Now they're not using these at high, high power, but uh, people are doing this with that mount. I'm just curious, like, uh, like, would you consider just even using that? Like, you already have a mount that probably could handle a six-inch refractor. Um, what do you think of that mount? Is this should I just like cut my losses and get this mount because it's a decently priced mount? I can get it here for five hundred bucks. Put a few mods on and. Uh, not real expensive. Seems like a great mount. What are your thoughts on this mount? And maybe that's the mount I should get. Yeah, yeah. It it's a great mount. Um, you know, I I've I have nothing but positive things to say about it. Um, 
one of the things also that I really, really like about it is how flexible or adaptable it is to your observing conditions. And what I mean by that is um, the ability to add counterweights, but add them in, in really unique configurations. Um, so there's a, like, there's a, the, it, while it's a T mount, both sides are unique of the mount and most T mounts it's, you have the exact same right side and it matches the left side, you know, in terms of design and capacity, not the case with the sky T. Uh, there's one side that is designed for your heavier mount, well, you know, whatever that would be. And then the other side, much lighter. And then that other side can have a, uh, counterbalance shaft and weight that just goes straight out. Um, kind of the end of the, the, the T mount or, it can mount uh, like at a perpendicular angle to the mount and that side also has its own axis. So you can rotate where that weight actually yeah. um, kind of is in relation to your telescope. And you can almost use it as like a counterbalance to like heavy eyepieces is how I've used it. So it's a super flexible mount. Um, it, it definitely is my highest capacity mount. Like when I had my um, my 120 ED Skywatcher, which is a, like an F 7.5, I think it's a pretty big telescope. Like it has a long tube, so pretty big moment arm. And I think it weighed probably all kitted out somewhere in that 12 to 15 pound range. And, uh, the sky T handled it quite well. Mm -hmm. Um, now would I put a six inch on there? I probably would try it. Um, before I made a, a big investment in a, in a, you know, heavier or a higher capacity mount, um, I'm not a hundred percent confident though, on the result, I think I would be a little disappointed, um, particularly at anything, you know, that isn't a, a low power, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it would be okay with the 41 millimeter pan optic, you know, doing some real wide field views, but I'd be concerned of anything more powerful that it might be a little vibration-y and, yeah. The other thing maybe to say here, Chris, is, uh, you know, vibrations and dampening times, that's an extremely subjective thing for all observers. Some people don't mind it or can deal with it. Uh, I'm not one of them. Like if there's any kind of vibration, it really drives me nuts, uh, especially when I'm trying to focus an eyepiece. Yeah. Uh, it just drives me crazy. So I would try it, but I'm not sure if it can handle a, a six inch. Yeah, I do. I do like that option because I think with my current gear, it it ticks all the boxes except for maybe the option of having some uh, some uh, electronic tracking, mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's like my cheapest. It would be my cheapest option. I think I could get the the mount. I think I could get the. You have to buy saddles for them. I think I could get those, yep. and I I think I could be ready to rock and roll for like around seven hundred dollars. So I think it would it would meet sort of most of my requirements, and uh, you know, and it would be well within my budget. Yeah, and and. You know, I guess my recommendation too would be, I think you'd only really need one saddle, um, just because like you, you'd want a nicer saddle on the side that you're putting your heavy telescope, the other side, because it can't handle a lot of weight. I think the saddle that comes with it is probably sufficient, but if you are putting, you know, anything, you know, sizable on that side, a, a better saddle would be needed. Yeah. Um, and I guess really too, Chris, if you wanted, like, um, when things warm up and we actually start doing some regular observing, just take this sky team out that I have for a month or something like that, use it and see what you think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would really appreciate that. And I, I think I'll take you up on that because that mount is in all seriousness, it is very high. It's a, it's a mount it's made by, I don't know who it's made by exactly, but I know it's sold by Skywatcher 
primarily, I think it's sometimes it's called the AZ5, but there's a couple AZ5s, I think now, so be careful. And then uh, it's also sold as the Sky T, and then Telescope Service has one, but um, that kind of gives you the uh, the lens. You can get it with or without tripod. I think if you buy it with the tripod, I think I could buy it with the tripod and have it here for under $600 um, and then buy a, buy a mounting plate um, of some sort. Uh, but it's it's well within the budget. I, I like that. I think it's a neat mount. Right Let's on. see. Do you ever take a look at the AOK Swiss, uh, Swiss uh, AYO2? They make a Digi. They make a Master. Uh, they weigh between like 10 and 16 pounds. They can hold between um, 8 and I think it's like 16 kilograms on a side. Do you ever look at those mounts? Yeah, I did. Is that... Is it... Is it AOK Swiss or the 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 gyro or gyro or however you pronounce that? One of those companies made a, a T mount that William Optics rebadged many many years that's the, ago. That's the AYO. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I I had that mount basically a long time ago, a, a T mount, and um, I really didn't like it. Actually, it was super. Again, the vibration was just. Uh, it, it was not good for me. And I don't know if it was the tripod cause it comes on a surveyor's tripod, uh, yeah. that William optic one. Um, but it's as basic as it gets, right? It's, it's a T mount, yeah. uh, with your friction controls for both axis and that's it. So yeah, yeah. pretty yeah, simple. No, no slow motion. And the way that AYO sells it, they make a, and I think you're right. I think the, I think the weak spot in the William optics version was that, that surveyor tripod, I always thought it seemed kind of strange. Like it seemed like it had a lot of flex in it to me anyway. And, uh, you know, and you are more sensitive, I think, than I am to vibration, though I certainly don't like vibration either. Um, so they sell, they make some pretty heavy duty recommendations for the tripod. And as well, this is like a, a newer version, the AYO2. And, uh, and they make a Digi and a Master. And with the AYO2 or the Digi, um, the pricing on them isn't too bad, but you, you can end up spending as much as $2,000 on one of these, uh, but they do come in really cool colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Some, uh, uh, some to think about, but I think in order to get one that kind of met my requirements would be, would be a fair bit. Um, so kind of moving on one of the other mounts that I'm looking at, and this is the one in a way that's kind of leading the pack for my thoughts for a few reasons is that uh, the LOSMD AZ mm-hmm. or AZ8, uh, it's got a 13-pound head, but it can carry 35 pounds. Did you ever look at this LOSMD altazimuth mount chain? Yes, and you've opened up a wound, Chris. This brings back memories that I, I still am. I'm still scarred. So Uh-oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I know. When this mount came out, um, I was in the market for um, like a pretty robust uh, AZ mount because I just purchased my Skywatcher 120 ED. I was unhappy with that William Optic mount, so it was what's next. What should I get? So the Losmandi AZ8 was uh, pretty fresh at that point, as was the Explore Scientific Twilight 2 mount. And um, I opted for the Twilight 2 because at that time they were close in price, but I, I think the Explore Scientific was a couple hundred dollars less, or two or three hundred dollars less, and you know, reports were that it was pretty, pretty good performance. And, uh, anyway, I totally regret not buying the AZ eight. Um, it's a beautiful looking mount. Number one, it has outstanding specs, but ever since I got that Los Mandy GM nine, 
Um, I didn't realize just the quality of a Lost Mandy mount, how well it's machined, uh, how tight the tolerances are. Um, it is of the highest quality build. And I assume that the AZ-8 would be no exception. Uh, it has slow motion controls. It it just, it, it's everything I would want in a mount. And my, uh, probably the, one of the reasons why I don't own it is they just stopped producing it. And uh, it, you know, another sign, I think that it's an outstanding mount, try to find one used, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You won't because nobody sells them. Uh, they're just, I, I because I think they work so darn well that nobody is willing to part with it. So this one, again, I think maybe you and I even talked about this back then. I was thinking, did we podcast on this? But I think, I think this is back in our, in our in-person beer days. And uh, I, I had caught that mount as well. Now, for me at the time when I was just grabbing going it, I was like, this is just a little too heavy mm. to be, uh, you know, hopping around and, uh, you know, trying to go and you know, pull it out of the car and set it up every night. I was like, this is just a little too heavy for me for that, knowing like how I like to observe, but now with a more permanent setup. And like you said, with the quality of a laws Mandy, I don't think I'd have any reservations about putting a laws Mandy out of my deck, throwing a cover over it, putting a rope around it, tying it to my railing and, uh, and leaving it there. As long as I was like physically present on the property, I would probably just leave it there. If I was off for a week, I would just leave it set up all week. I would let it hail and rain. I don't think it have any problem under my, uh, telegizmos 365 mount or uh, cover on that mount. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it would be a, an amazing mount. In fact, if any listeners have that mount and use it, I would love to hear about it. Um, and I notice you have a note here that it might be re-released or a new, uh, a new design potentially here in 2023. So, yeah. So I'll get to that just in one second. I want to sure. cut you off because I want to say a couple of things about it first. Um, the the things that catch my eye with this mount is it comes with the Lozmandy uh, saddle plates for mm. both Vixen and Lozmandy plates, and that mm. to me that that's a big deal because buying those plates on their own can be expensive. Mm -hmm. It has some options, but when you buy, you can buy it as a package or just as a standalone head. And I could buy that head. I could just buy that head, and that would be all I need. And I don't have to mess around with buying too many options. They sell it. It's complete. Comes with slow motion controls and setting circles. Now, mm -hmm. strange part, we're going to get into this with the next mount. The strange part is with the next mount, the two complaints about the next mount are uh, that it doesn't have slow motion controls and setting circles, which the Lozmandy does. Mm -hmm. But people complain about the Lozmandy setting circles and the slow motion controls. So one, slow motion controls are only on one side. You simply saw this. Typically, you're going to be um, looking at objects in the ecliptic mm -hmm. when you're using your slow motion controls for like for planets, right? If you're just mm -hmm. doing deep sky, you might be able to get away without using your slow motion controls as much. And uh, so what you can do is simply orient it so that um, it's pointed um, towards the ecliptic so that, you know, however your setup is, you make sure that the... Uh, the Azima slow motion controls are pointed um, in a way that's going to allow you to easily access them where the planets are going to be most observed. And then mm -hmm. I even saw people who modified it and put like an extension um, around. And then considering many other other mounts that are high end and high quality in the same price range don't even have slow motion controls, I think it's good. The other thing is people complain that there's a small amount of backlash. 
And so there's been video made on how to adjust that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then there's some complaints about like the visibility of the setting circles just in the way that they're mounted on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have them, unlike virtually all of the others. So, so they have put a couple things on this. And I think it just goes to show how difficult it is to implement everything on an Altaz mount Mm-hmm. Keep the price within reason that the people like Shane and I might actually be able to buy and still be able to afford uh, telescopes, maybe build an observatory, stuff like that. So I think Lasmini has done it. Um, there's a long wait time. And currently, you know, I'm just sort of digging around in the back recesses of the internet. Seems like availability possibly in June of this year. Mm-hmm. So I put my name on the wait list. Just yeah, I might, I might do the same then too. Um, you know, a comment too about the setting circles. One of the reasons why I wanted a Los Mandy uh, GM, I was looking for a GM8 at the time, actually. The biggest reason why I picked the Los Mandy mount was the setting circles. Uh, at that time, I had a backyard observatory and I had a Celestron AVX mount in there because I'm in the city, it's hard to find guide stars and, and it's just, it's more challenging to find, um, objects, you know, in a, a part of the sky where there's no visible stars. Um, but my observatory was, uh, it had high humidity all the time in it. So it really wasn't good for electronics. Um, so I thought the next best thing would be just old school setting circles. However, most mounts nowadays really don't have setting circles. And if they do, they're insufficient, you know, the size or the scale of the numbers or the, you know, the, you know, really the numbers, uh, is too small to be of any use. However, the Los Mandy mounts actually have really good setting circles on them, or at least the, the GM, like the EQ mounts do. And that was a big feature for me. And I've used them and they're great. They work exceptionally well. Once you uh, calibrate them for your night's observing session, they're fantastic. Go to the next mount, which is the new or newish uh, Rowan AZ or AZ75. Mm-hmm. Um, weighs eight pounds out of the box. But you got to put saddles on there. Can carry up to 33 pounds. Shane, this is one that you mentioned earlier on. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what, what have you been thinking about this mount? Um, it just has a lot of really strong reviews in terms of, uh, some of the qualities I've already mentioned with the Los Mandy mounts, uh, the machining, uh, like the, just the tolerances, the quality of the mounts, uh, made by Rowan seem to be very, very high. Um, they also have a large or a high, uh, carrying capacity and, um, they're adaptable with, uh, digital setting circles. Um, so, they, they tick a lot of boxes for me. Now they certainly are not inexpensive mounts and, um, you know, maybe a plus or a minus is like, you really, you really just buy a base mount from them. And if you want like saddles or other features, it's, you know, add on, add on, add on. So the, uh, the price can increase pretty quickly with the Rowan mounts, but, um, there's a lot of positive reviews on them and, uh, they seem like a really solid choice. A couple of things that catch my attention with this mount is, uh, although you need saddles, um, like you may not need a saddle or I may not need a saddle because the Takahashi clamshells can bolt directly to the mount without a saddle. Mm-hmm. So, so if you happen to own one of those, or like, I know Mike has, has one of those saddles I've bought it, uh, if from him from time to time, uh, I could just simply get that saddle on if he needs it or not. And if I bought this mount, then I could, uh, without buying anything else, I could mount my attack 100 to it right off, right off the hop. Might even be able to mount the, uh, uh, the other tack that I have to it as well. 
Um, cause I think of the, the bolts are the same on my clamshell for my 60. So I, I can already start mounting telescopes to this without buying anything else. And I, and I've seen people doing this online. So they bought just the head. They're good to go. One thing I love about this mount that I don't think any other mount has in this Altaz zone, and they should, this seems like it should be a hundred percent requirement is a declination stop. They've actually put a put just, and it looks a little rough, but I'll go with it because it stops the telescope from nosediving. It can only go just above horizontal. I think mm-hmm. like to like half a degree or something above the true horizon. And that's perfect. That's all you'd ever want to go to anyway. So it's, you can't use this for terrestrial viewing, at least, I don't know, maybe you can flip it around or something if you want, but I never use my telescopes for terrestrial viewing. I'm going to use them to look at the sky. Mm-hmm. So, um, I like this because a couple of times I've, you know, especially late at night, I haven't quite engaged the clutch or I haven't engaged the clutch and the telescope goes nose diving and I got to catch it or you can get bopped in the chin or whatever. It's just uh, one of the downsides to using an altazimuth. Uh, but they've thought of this and it's uh, it's well done. And uh, yeah, a little bit of a challenge there with getting it on a mount though, I think. I'm, I'm not sure how that would work. Yeah, for sure. So got a couple more mounts just want to skip through. That I've been looking at the nose uh, NOHS mount. It's called the CT20. Um, relatively inexpensive, made in Korea. Bill uh, Palomini did a uh, really nice uh, Cloud NH review about a year ago. It's only two kilograms, but can hold twenty kilograms. Quick thoughts mm-hmm. on that one, Shane? Yeah, I I remember reading about this mount and being intrigued, but I I really don't know much about it other than the pay, Bill Paoloni review on Cloudy Nights. Um, super intriguing that it's such a lightweight mount, but has such capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess just, uh, you know, visual thoughts are, you know, the, part of the advantage here of this mount, you know, it's a T mount, but it doesn't have long arms on either side, which probably lends to the stability. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very intriguing mount. Gyro Urkel, I think that's what it's called. Need saddles, kind of require reasonably affordable around 700 bucks. I think the nose mount is around 700 bucks too. These are all about the same cost. And this uh, gyro call says it can uh, do 10 to 18 kilograms inside, depending on the counterweight you put on there. And it, out of the box, it fits on a CG5 or similar tripods like that mm-hmm. feature. Did you ever look at that mount? Yeah, I did look at uh, the the gyro, gyro, whatever we're saying. Um, the Again, they look like very intriguing mounts. They've been around a long, long time as a company. So I think, you know, whatever they're doing is working. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I haven't dug too deep into those, those mounts. Really interesting. This is like sort of the interesting option. Not going to go with this one, but it's, this is a very, very interesting mount. It's a very mm-hmm. new mount, but it's by Vixen who's been making mounts for a long time. They know what they're doing. It's called the APZ slash EQ. Did you ever see this mount? I have. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's, uh, you know, something like this is usually right up my alley of being highly adaptable. Um, but again, I, similar to these other two mounts we just talked about, I really haven't done a lot of research on it. I am aware of it though. This mount by Vixen can work strangely enough designed to work as both an AZ mount and you can actually MacGyver it just with a hex wrench almost in the field, I guess, mm-hmm. to be a fully tracking EQ mount. In AZ mode, it holds up to six kilograms. In um, what they call um, like EQ mode, 
it can hold up to six kilograms and you can even put tracking motors on the tracking motors just slide off and on really slick the internals stay internal there's no external wiring or anything so you can flip it if you want so say you have part of the year where you're just doing deep sky you want to mount that telescope up in az mode um, and this this is a mount that does appeal to me in a way, except for the cost, we'll get to that in a sec, because I could just have it in AZ mode for when the planets aren't in the sky and I'm not really using as much high power. And then once the planets come around, just take it apart on my kitchen table and flip it over into that EQ mode. And it also only weighs like around three or three and a quarter kilograms. It's a very light mount and that's fairly decent holding capacity. The downside is that uh, originally the cost was reasonable. I think originally it was like five or 600 bucks. Now to get it, you'd be looking at hard to say, it's hard to say what your options are and how much they are, but there's some expensive stuff with this mount and it's going to run you uh, probably around uh, $1,500 Canadian uh, to really get into this. So, um, you know, probably at least 12 or $1,300 American just to start getting into this, this kind of setup. Um, but it's, an, that's a very interesting mount, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, uh, you know, I guess though, I kind of wonder is it, you know, while you have the adaptability to go AZ or EQ, I wonder if you just leave it in one mode and that's yeah. that. And if that's the case, why don't you just get that kind of mount? You know, <laughs> I don't know how much I would kind of go back and forth, but who knows? I guess, uh, or you know. two mounts because you could buy, I've listed lots of mounts here that are like 700 bucks that would have the same qualities. So you get two $700 mounts for what this mount is going to do that's going to cost you at least $1400. So I don't know. It it and who knows? Like it it just seems risky to be taking a mount apart, you know, once or twice a year even and then putting it back together again. I feel like that can't go well over the long term. But Vixen makes quality products mm-hmm. and I know people own this mount. Maybe somebody out there can uh, enlighten us. Shane, anything else to add to this episode? No. Uh the world of mounts is is fun. There's a lot of choices out there and uh, they all have like little nuances. So even though some of these may appear very similar, uh, when you when you kind of peel the onion, you'll find that there's a lot of different considerations to be aware of. So, you know, I think uh, especially with some of the cost of these, it's important to make sure you know what you're looking for and and then, you know, do a little research to ensure you're getting the right features. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. And if our listeners enjoyed the podcast and you haven't already, we would sure appreciate it. Leave us a five-star review in your podcatching software, say something fun, positive, and you'll help other people find actual astronomy in 2023. Send your observing reports, questions, and your experiences with maps to us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.